It is our habit to read from Scripture the passage on which I will preach. And I've uh, selected a passage for you I thought was particularly oriented around Christmas. We've just celebrated Christmas, and in fact, in some sense, we're still in Christmas tide. This is the epiphany season, and depending on your country of origin, and I mean hundreds of years ago, perhaps, you may celebrate epiphany on January 5th or 6th, the 12th night, as it's often called, or the night of three kings in Latin America. Christmas lasts for a while, and one of the reasons it lasts for a while is because it takes so long to prepare, doesn't it? it? There's a lot of preparation that goes on. Look how beautiful this church is. And so at Christmas time, it's good to read God's word and hear what all the fuss was about, what all the preparation brings, and what all the celebration is about. So let me read to you from a beautiful Christmas passage. It's from John chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. John chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? Great Heavenly Father, we need your spirit to illuminate these words for us so that we may understand and we may know you. And through knowing you, we may have life. And so, Lord, we ask the blessing on the the preaching and the hearing of your word right now. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. It's a big time of the year. Uh, It's actually, you know, Christmas is the 25th. Obviously, New Year's Eve is the 31st. Today is the 40th anniversary of the day that Debbie and I started going steady. 40th anniversary of our going steady. My son's birthday, 28th birthday, was yesterday. It's actually kind of humorous. He lives in a very modest home in Piedmont, and he had some friends over for his birthday. So actually yesterday morning, they had to take the tree down to make room in the living room so he could have four friends over. It's a big time of the year. Have you ever asked why? Let me think about that question. Why? Why do we make such a big deal about this time of year? What is so special? Why? Have you heard that question, why? You know, if you're the parent of a toddler, you've probably heard the question, why? And if you're the parent of a teenager, you've probably heard the question, why? And if you're middle-aged, you've probably heard the question, why? And if you're elderly, you've probably heard the question, why? 
And so I ask you this morning, why? Why Christmas? Why was there a child born in a manger? What was that all about? Well, this passage here, sure, it may not be the most traditional Christmas passage, but it's absolutely about the birth of Jesus. We know that it's about the birth, because if you just look at the chapter itself, what's going on here? Nicodemus, you remember Nicodemus, comes to Jesus in the night, in darkness, in stealth of darkness, if you will. And Jesus says, unless one is born of water. See, the chapter talks about birth, doesn't it? It also talks about life, which is the natural result of birth. For God to love the world, that people would not perish but have eternal life. The passage is about birth and life. And it's about light and darkness. Nicodemus visits him in the darkness. Why? Well, Nicodemus was an important leader in the church. He didn't want to be seen approaching Jesus during the day. And Jesus says this, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Well, that's a Christmas statement. The light has come into the world. And so we see that this passage actually answers the question. We celebrate the birth of God's Son so that you may see that God lovingly gives salvation and those who believe may not receive their deserved condemnation. We celebrate the birth of God's Son so that you may see that God lovingly gives salvation and those who believe may not receive their deserved condemnation. John's organized this basically for us in three sections. He talks about a loving gift. Sounds like Christmas. He talks about deserved judgment. Sounds like something we don't want to hear in a Christmas sermon. And then he talks about the exposed revelation, the loving gift, the deserved judgment, and the exposed revelation. Or we could say it this way, the loving gift of giving and receiving salvation. You know, You've probably heard a little bit of a debate before. Is Christmas more about giving or about receiving? You know, Santa Claus gives, 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 right? He represents someone. I think probably if you squint really hard, he represents God giving gifts, right? That's, that's an appropriate metaphor, I guess. But it's also about receiving. Let me ask you this. When you're opening a mason jar, and I'm talking about one where it's kind of stuck, Do you turn it to the left or to the right? Well, think about it. The top of the jar lid, you turn to the left, and the bottom of the jar lid, you turn to the right. So, yes, you turn it to the left and the right. Well, Christmas is about giving and receiving, because if there's a gift, there's a receiving. If there's a giving, there must be a receiving. And this loving gift we're talking about here in verses 14 through 17 is this loving gift of salvation, the giving and receiving of salvation. Let me read these words for you again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Well, you say, hold on a second. Wait a second. What, what does that have to do with birth and eternal life and Jesus and Christmas? Well, we have to answer that by turning to Numbers 21. And in Numbers 21, we have this story. I don't need to read much of it, but notice that it, it conveys something that happened in the wilderness. 
There was a, 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 uh, verse 4. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. The people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's that question. Why? Why? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food, the food that God had given them. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. See, this is what Jesus is talking about when he's discussing with Nicodemus. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. God gave the bronze serpent as a gift to the people to save them from what their sin had produced. The ugliness of these fiery serpents. Now, you know, in a room this large, there's bound to be someone who likes snakes. (laughs) I don't know. You had a pet snake as a child, or you didn't mind being the one who got the black snake out of the garden. But we all know, even if you like snakes, we all know that you're not supposed to like snakes. In other words, most people are afraid of snakes. What about a fiery snake? (laughs) I mean, what could be worse? These fiery snakes were causing people to die. Why were they sent upon them? Because of their impatience and they rejected God. And yet he sent this gift of a bronze serpent, this loving gift. So let me ask you, who receives salvation? In that story in Numbers 21, who receives salvation? Those who were bitten, who were suffering from their sins and looked up on the serpent, on the pole, and saw the serpent, those who would see and believe. Well, let me ask you this. What sort of salvation was it? What sort of salvation did they receive? Well, rescue from death. Rescue from death. See, salvation necessarily implies judgment. There was something from which they were being saved, You can't save someone from a river if they're not in the river. You can't save them from drowning unless they're they're imperiled. This salvation is because these people were dying. And why were they dying? Because of their impatience, their sin, their rejection and hatred for God and all that he had provided, this manna that they were sick of. Bring us leeks and garlics. So who receives the salvation? Those who sinned and those who then looked up to the serpent. Now, why do they receive salvation? Well, God's love for them. He, he didn't have to send the serpent the, the, to instruct Moses to put the serpent on the pole. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to provide a way for them, but he did provide a way for them. 
And that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 16. And you know this verse very well. For God so loved the world. Think about it in the Numbers 21 context, though. For God so loved his people that he gave a serpent that whoever believes, whoever sees and believes the serpent would not die. You see, God was creating, using Moses and the people, he was creating an image of what faith is going to look like. It's going to look like actually looking up to the one on the pole, Christ on the cross. And so the sun must be lifted up. By the way, lifted up is being used in two ways. We don't want to find too many double entendres, too many double meanings in Scripture, but John likes to use words that are rich in meaning. And when he says the sun must be lifted up, he's actually meaning it literally and figuratively. He's meaning the sun must be crucified. But he's also meaning the sun must be exalted. You have to look upon him as the exalted Savior. Do you see that in the story of the serpents, if they looked up, they would be saved? But if they didn't look up, this bronze serpent was still on the pole. There was still a bronze serpent to save them. But if they continued to reject God's path of salvation, they would die. The existence of the serpent was meaningless to them unless they saw it and believed and trusted in God. So you see here, they receive salvation because of God's love, and it's given so that they can experience a love. See, he, he did not come to condemn. And that's what takes us to these next verses, verses 18 through 19. This deserved judgment, this giving and receiving of condemnation. It says in 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Think about it that way, with Numbers 21. God did not send the bronze serpent to condemn the world. No, no, no. He sent the bronze serpent to save those who would believe. I worked in an Italian restaurant, and we had a chef, a very stereotypical Italian chef. I say that because I've only known one Italian chef, really, and he was stereotypical from what everyone else had said. He was about five feet tall, and we called him chef. If you called him anything other than chef, you were in big trouble. Yes, chef. No, chef. And he would scream, what are you doing? (laughs) Get out of my kitchen! But here's one thing I remember he, he said, unfortunately, several times. When someone did something wrong, he said, I know fire him, he fire himself. Now, even in broken English, I know exactly what that means. The chef was just an instrument, if you will, for exercising the firing of that person. The person had done something wrong. And so, the chef wasn't the one who fired him. The person had condemned himself by doing something wrong. That's what verse 17 is telling us. For God did not send us into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned. This is the judgment, 
The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. They condemn themselves. Verse 18, whoever does not believe is condemned already. If you've rejected God, you're condemned already. His condemnation of you through fiery serpents or other means, your eternal damnation is not something that God has brought on you. It's something that sin brings upon us. And you've condemned yourself if you reject God. There's a deserved judgment, a giving and receiving of condemnation. But this passage is is happier than that, right? It's happier than that. Let's look at the third section here, exposing revelation, seeing the giving and receiving. Seeing the giving and receiving. Who sees confirmation of salvation? Look at verse 21. But whoever does, does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. As we've already noted, this chapter is about light and darkness. Nicodemus did what? He came in the darkness. Why? Because he knew what he was doing would be wrong in the eyes of the the rest of the Sanhedrin. He came in stealth of darkness. Look at verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Lest his works should be exposed. You see, sin is interesting, isn't it? We sin because we don't think that sin is particularly bad. We sin because we think at that moment that misrepresenting the truth slightly will help that person get through a difficult moment. And so it's not lying. And we think, I'm not actually damaging any relationships by just lusting after someone. It's just a momentary lust. It's not affecting my relationship. It's not really that much of a sin. Or we find a way to maybe adjust our financial reports in such a way, what are they called? Tax returns. We return it in such a way that maybe misrepresents something. That's called stealing. But the government's already taking a lot from us, and so we rationalize it. You see, sin is funny because when it's active, we are thinking that we're seeing clearly at that moment, and it's not that bad. But this passage is very clear. Verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness. They loved that cloudiness where they couldn't quite see right and wrong. They loved it because they could then defend, rationalize to themselves and others that what they were doing was justified. It was okay. People loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. A couple weeks ago, we talked about James There's the interesting juxtaposition of faith and works. And here Jesus is talking about works being evil. But this passage is so clear about where things come from, right? 
Where do those works come from? They're evil hearts. They're evil desires. They desired and loved the darkness because they could hide in the darkness. It says in verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light. Now again, back to the sort of rich meaning here. When when John is using the word light here, he's talking about two things at once. He's talking about goodness. And who is the embodiment of goodness? Jesus. That's why Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light. He's talking about goodness and Christ at the same moment. And when it says, everyone who hates wicked things hates the light, he's saying you're hating goodness and you're hating Christ. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. That's what light does, isn't it? Doesn't light illuminate and and show what's going on? Nicodemus wouldn't have been excited about having a bunch of streetlights and spotlights lit up on him as he's walking to the house where Jesus is. No, he's going there in darkness. Let's pause for a minute. Was Nicodemus going there on a good mission or an evil mission? I think it's pretty obvious that he was operating in a religious construct that had very serious problems. And he was seeking. But how did he get there? Well, the Spirit brought him there. And why did the Spirit bring him there? So that Jesus could reveal to him. This is now back to our Christmas theme. Through the darkness, Nicodemus went to Christ, and he saw why Christ was born. So he could see that God lovingly gives salvation. This is a beautiful passage to read at Christmas, at least in part because it highlights the gift of the Son. Think about it this way. Why was Jesus born in a manger? I know you know the answer to this question because there was no room at the inn. Why was he born in a manger? Why did it have to be a lowly manger? I mean... My daughter gave birth a couple months ago. I don't recall any of the you know, specialists saying, and what, here's what we recommend. Take your child and put them in a filthy cow stall right where the cows slobber. And uh, you can swaddle your kid, but you know, just put them in there. No, Jesus was humiliated, literally, when he came to earth. Because he's God. And he stepped down from that to be humiliated, to be like us. You know, if we only read a few verses before our passage today, verse 11 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. You see, Jesus was humiliated in his birth. The confession teaches us he was humiliated in his whole life on earth, including death on the cross and spending time in, uh, under a time under, in death. That was his humiliation. Well, this helps to clear up one of the questions that may be in your mind from this text. Why did God put a bronze serpent on a pole? I thought the serpent sounds like Satan. Isn't that what we read about in Genesis 3? Doesn't the serpent represent sin and darkness and evil? Why would a bronze serpent on a pole be a metaphor, be an image, a representation of what was to come, if it would be Christ on the cross? Well, the answer is because Christ not only came in human form, but he also took on him your sin. It's your sin. It is darkness on the cross. It's the ugly darkness of sin that he took on himself. That's what had to be crucified. Your sin on the cross. And that's why the Moses lifts up the serpent for people to see the humiliated Christ who's taken on your sin. Well, we've looked at this passage in three sections. The loving gift, the deserved judgment, and the exposed revelation. The seeing and giving of the receiving. And I think we need to look at, well, how do we apply this? I mean, it's, very, it's, it's curious, right? It's a good passage. We all know that verse 316. How do we apply this? Let me offer you several thoughts. The first is this. Who are you in the passage? It's a, it's, a, it's a useful technique. I'm not saying it's the only technique to use when reading Scripture, but sometimes it's useful to consider, where do I fit in here? Where, to whom, whom can I relate? And I would say this. You know, if, you're, if you don't trust in Christ, if you think that God provides garbage to you, that the manna he sent for you is garbage... You're the people who are being bit by serpents and do not look to the cross. You don't look up at the serpent. And so if if you are rejecting God, there's one simple answer here. The sun must be lifted up. The sun must be lifted up. But I will say this, I, I know most of you. If you are a member in good standing of Fairview Presbyterian Church, then I can tell you exactly who you are in this story. You're Nicodemus. What does he say to Nicodemus? He says, you're a teacher of the law and you don't know this. But Nicodemus is there, apparently on faith, to receive. The Spirit is working in his life. And Christ is reminding him and preparing him. This is what you need to know. Because this is what you need to show others. 
Nicodemus was a teacher. You are a member of Fairview. You're here for a purpose, and that's to share Christ with others so that they may see him on the cross, see him lifted up, see him highly exalted. This is a reminder to you to see your role. And so let's consider that. See the gift. See the gift. Jesus was born to give life. Salvation comes from God's love for man. And there is a necessary gift because condemnation comes from man's hatred for Christ. And so recognizing salvation comes from man's love for Jesus. Therefore, you need the love of Christ. So see the gift. See the gift. Now, I want to be clear. It's very easy and sort of an evangelical sort of message to say, oh, see and believe. See and believe. That's not the picture that's given. The picture is God giving his son in humility to you. And I'm asking you today, would you see him? Would you see the Son of Man lifted up? Would you exalt him? Because if you see him, if the Holy Spirit allows you to see that this morning through his word, then you can know that he died and was raised for sinners and he must be lifted up. But notice this, there's a second, a second application. Seeing the gift and love the light. Love the light. If you've seen the gift, then love the light. Lift up the sun. Get to know your Lord and Savior. The more that you know him, the more you will love him. Spend time in Scripture. Spend time loving others. Spend time showing them the why of Christmas so that the Son of Man may be lifted up. Receive forgiveness. If you love the light, what does that say about your sin? If you love the light, expose your works. Tell the person sitting next to you, not right this moment, later today. Expose your works. Share with them frustrations you have, lack of hope you might feel. Ask them why, and let them answer why, because Christ came to save you. Expose your works. Value accountability. Enjoy the humility that Christ brought. Do not love the darkness. Don't love your sin. Expose your sin. Hate your sin by showing it to God and saying, forgive me. And there's a third application here. Live for truth. Live for truth. You see, this passage is all about truth, isn't it? Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus gives him the truth. So it says, do what is true. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true. Now, that... That phrase is just a little awkward, isn't it? Do what is true. I mean, if you were walking down the street and somebody turned to you and said, hey, do what is true, you'd say, mm, what does that mean? Well, first of all, James chapter 1 will explain that quite well. Do what is true. 
love the widow and orphan, visit God's people, live the faith, live for truth. But I think it's pretty simple. Why do you suppose John 3.16 is the most memorized verse in all of Scripture? Because you can live that. You can live sharing that verse. You're doing the truth. Doing what is true is telling people and showing people John 3.16. Notice in verse 3.11, Jesus said, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. That's your calling. Bear witness to what you have seen. That is living for truth. Give God the glory for his blessings on your walk. So why do we celebrate Christmas? Why was Christ born? Christ is the light so that you can bring light to a dark and dying world. Let me remind you of what your bulletin said. You you said this earlier. How is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? That the word may become effectual to salvation. We must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith. That sounds like seeing the gift. Lay it up in our hearts. That sounds like loving the light. Live for truth. Practice it in our lives. Let me call you today to live out this Shorter Catechism answer. Because we celebrate the birth of God's Son so that you may see that God lovingly gives salvation and those who believe may not receive their deserved condemnation. Let's do what is true. Would you pray with me? Great Heavenly Father, you have been so gracious to us. Your gifts are so amazing. The gift of your Son is incomparable. It cannot be compared to other gifts. You have loved us and blessed us with your Son. And you have called us to live for truth. You have called us to love the light. And you have called us to see the gift. Lord, today, this week, may we carry these out through the power of your Spirit and the work of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.